Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Let's Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics? They talk, we listen. My guest today has dedicated a large part of his life to the public sector. He has many charitable interests, has had numerous directorial and C-level roles, as well as a partnership in one of the big five consulting firms. But before we get into that, here's a message from our sponsors. Xinform, create, schedule, collect, report. Web-based software apps that improve efficiency by reducing costly and often repetitious admin time, by enabling organizations and contractors to create online bespoke templates for their specific inspection and survey processes. This enables the replacement of historically utilized paper-based forms with a collection of information on site. Devices are used so that data can be stored securely and supplied onwards to demonstrate the adherence to standards and statutory obligations as required. Visit us at www.zantiv.co.uk. Heads Talk Podcast with your host Elaine Pringle Schwitter. David Todd has worked in the interface between IT and the public sector for a number of years. He's an expert in the housing market, in particular social housing and the use of technology in that sector. He was the CEO of Xembrace Limited for over a decade, a software consulting company. Xembrace was later acquired by Corona Group in the summer of 2012. He was also the UK Managing Director of Luminous, the UK Managing Director of Origin, now known as Atos Origin, and a partner for the UK Management Consulting Practice, where he spent 16 years delivering large-scale IT implementation projects. David is also a board member, a business advisor, and a charity trustee. Affectionately known as Toddy, David oozes charisma and has been described as an effective and inspirational leader, respected by his peers, appreciated by his clients, and admired by those he leads. My memories of David are that he's an approachable, sometimes jovial, but definitely a natural motivator. Finally, and importantly, David is a fellow Keelite who graduated with a BSc in politics and economics. Great to have a Keelite on Heads Talk today. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome David to Heads Talk. Delighted to have you here today, David. Thank you very much. What an introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Right, Um, shall we start? Um, We've got a lot of um, discussion today will be about you enlightening me and my listeners about, for instance, the application of IOTs in social housing. So so we are happy to have you here today um, to provide the sort of necessary insights on that, as well as some of the other topics in that space. So let me begin by um, going back to the beginning of the year, this year. This is about COVID and the arrival in Europe. Um, What were your initial thoughts as this situation developed from something that was happening in China to here, we are now in December 2020, still under its grip and in the middle of the second wave. And perhaps we'll see a third wave early in the new year. What were you doing? Where were you working? Well, I, I was uh, still working. I've been working part-time now for some several years. Um, a mixed portfolio, I would say, is the correct term. Um, my main job, uh, uh, the thing I was employed to do at the start of the year, was as UK Managing Director of Luminous, which is a Dutch consulting firm who are trying to develop um, 
technology products and they wanted to bring them to the UK. That was my main job. And I had been ever since I left Corona in um, late 2017. Mm -hmm. It was a part-time job. Um, I was really just sort of minding the shop for them and um, helping out while they decided their strategy for the UK and the English speaking world. Mm -hmm. that, well, I should say that all came to an, I mean, really, uh, from my point of view, um, that job was a victim of the pandemic because uh, they, the parent company of Luminous had its core business badly affected in the Netherlands and they really had to cut back. So um, the UK operation was one of the victims of that. Um, uh, yeah, it was all very amicable and I have some friends there still. Uh, wish them well. Yeah, I, th I think we all know many stories um, like that. It's just such an unprecedented year. Um, let's move on. Um, as mentioned in the introduction, you work extensively in the housing market, in particular social housing. What has changed in terms of the work you were doing as a result of the pandemic? You know, we're, we're a year literally into the pandemic. What, what has changed? Well, of course, um, uh, I'm less directly involved than I was, um, but I'm still helping a number of companies in that sector. And I, I think actually the thing that's given me most satisfaction this year and kept me get my feet on the ground is um, I like to stay involved. Uh, you know, I'm not I'm, I'm not in, interested in retiring in the traditional sense. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the the thing I really enjoy is called Direct Works, which is an in, an industry association. I've been involved in some for some time. I joined the steering group. Um, when I was winding down from Corona by invitation. I, so I'm an honorary member of Direct Works, which is, whose members are all um, in-house repairs, maintenance, asset management teams in social housing organisations, primarily housing associations, but also local authorities. Um, and they, their job is partly to promote the benefit of um, in-house teams as opposed to contracting out the work uh, which is being a, a there's been a big trend to bring back work in-house in that sector over the past 10 plus years now the the founder of that uh, association who's a close friend of mine knew his time was coming to an end for health reasons and age reasons. So he was, as chairman, he asked me to facilitate a succession plan for a new chairman, and or new chair, I should say, and a new uh, treasurer administrator. Both were heading uh, for the exit door, and that took up quite a lot of time last year. And this year it's all been put in place and it's gone very well, you know, despite having to do so much online, it's been really good fun to be part of it mm -hmm. and to see that the, the organisation continuing to flourish. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the benefits of um, being in the social housing sector is, although it has been hit by, the, um, by COVID in, in ways I could describe, but obviously people still need to live in houses, they still have to pay their rent and uh, that has continued throughout various lockdowns and so on, although the lockdowns have affected some of the repairs operations. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's been a very interesting journey this year, 
only part time for me, of course. Yes. But I've been able to support yeah. and help out in many ways. That's, but to continue, even in your part time capacity, you, you've outlined some of the, the, the benefits, if we can call it that, um, of the pandemic. What other things have you seen sort of perhaps being expedited as a result of the pandemic that probably would have taken years to get off the ground? Well, absolutely. And I think that, uh, as with a lot of the public sector, um, how can I put it politely, the, so, the social housing has been cautious, one could say slow in uh, adopting the technology. You know, there hasn't been the commercial pressure to do so. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, the biggest change has been the move online uh, for customer service. Mm -hmm. um, much more use of um, so uh, i'll give you a few simple examples and we've been talking about this for 10 years easily but it's really happened much faster in the last it was already it was already happening but it's really been accelerated the ability just to book a repair mm. online uh, uh, for example or to report a problem uh, obviously pay your rent all those things have all been accelerated and the whole customers online customer service and the move away from offices mm -hmm. has really been accelerated as in so many other sectors um uh, you know all, all uh, yeah, this has been said so many times that what covid has done is just accelerate trends that were happening anyway i mean i've been working from home mainly for at least five years i would say um Although, you know, until this year, I was still doing quite a lot of business traveling. Um, uh, but, you, you know, you don't need an office. In, uh, large organizations are being very stuck on the idea. Of, uh, it's that saying, one of my favorite sayings is, work is what you do, not where you do it. But the concept of going to work is still ingrained in so many people in a, a lot of sectors, and particularly large organizations. Yeah. yeah, I'm not. I, I think you do need offices, and actually they're being missed, you know, because you do need somewhere to meet and socialise and enjoy the human side of work, if you like. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yes, and it, it must be so difficult. I think particularly for younger and new employees of large organisations to actually get to know their colleagues and get to know the, the yeah. culture. You can't do that online. Yeah. I think that's one of the casualties of this pandemic in that sense, yeah. the, the, the social impact it will have. Yes. Oh, definitely, definitely. It will come back. But I think we're, you know, we're, we're going to see a much more mixed economy of um, working from home and uh, working from probably much smaller, more flexible offices. Yeah. And the same goes for business meetings, events, you know, conferences and exhibitions, you know, they've all gone. But, they will become hybrid, haven't they? They they are becoming hybrid now, and plus it's a greater reach in terms of the numbers of people that will be, so to speak, tuning into that particular event. Well, I couldn't agree more. And I mean, that's um, I mean, direct works. Let's take one example close to my heart. Um, they, they ran their first online seminar. They've traditionally held quarterly seminars in mm -hmm. a hotel in the Midlands and people have driven from all over the country to go to them. Mm -hmm. um, now, you know, it's moved online and, and that does reach a whole lot, potentially as, as well yes. as actually a, a, a vastly bigger audience 
But I think, you know, we will in time return to a mixed picture mm-hmm. of physical mm-hmm. meetings and mm-hmm. online attendance. Mm-hmm. All right. So effectively, what you're saying is sort of expedited uh, an increase, um, a better customer experience for people in the, the housing sector. Um, yes, uh, yes, exactly. And, and anything that, uh, you know, think, think you, you just need to bring forward all the things that save people from traveling uh, to, to uh, offices or to uh, do repairs if they can be done remotely. And that's why, yeah, you mentioned okay. the Internet of Things. I mean, that's some. Okay. We're going to talk about that. No, we're going to talk about that in greater detail later. But let, mm. because we're in the social housing space, um, I, I think we cannot have a conversation about housing policies or social housing without talking about Grenfell. Um, yes, agree. We do know there is an ongoing inquiry into the disaster, so let us all, and that includes me, bear that in mind. Um, first, let's talk about what's happened at Grenfell. Was this an uh, isolated tragic incident um, in the social housing market, or was Grenfell perhaps, no. or was Grenfell perhaps a systematic uh, or, or systematic of something bigger? Effectively, has Grenfell brought to the public attention, a greater problem, a greater social problem even? Very much so. I think it just brought it in, into the public eye. But I mean, it's certainly not the first fire in a tower block. Or, mm-hmm. um, I mean, older people like me will remember Ronan Point, which was a gas explosion, not a fire. But there have been other fires in recent years um, in both British and uh, uh, other tower blocks worldwide. I mean, the thing that Grenfell has really brought into focus is um, the, the use of inappropriate materials, the weakness mm-hmm. of the building regulation regime, and the, the whole the whole construction industry, and this is a much wider problem than social housing, is riddled with cost cutting, corner cutting, and overuse of subcontractors. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, but that's a particular problem in the construction mm-hmm. industry. And it brings me, uh, yeah, I, I, probably a subject we could come back to if there's time. The whole shortage of skills is a big problem in the construction industry, but many other industries as well. This country has not invested in skills nearly enough, and that's really been shown up, I think. Right, okay. Um, I, I'm assuming that's a lot of, sort of the homegrown skills you're talking about. Yeah, very much so. We've relied heavily on importing skills from Europe. So mm-hmm. Yes, yes. We're wandering into Brexit if we're not careful. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that later. But uh, yeah. I, I suppose, yes, I suppose maybe that's a, that's a culture thing where in education, perhaps people always push down the university route and there's less celebration of the vocational skills that needs that needs to make a, a fully functional economy. Yeah, absolutely right. You you summed it up very well. I mean, the contrast is often made between this country and Germany, which mm-hmm. has um, maintained a strong culture of apprenticeships and so on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We've we've lost in this country are trying to reinvent. I think the problem is recognised, but you know, um, it's always been for far too long been seen as the only route going to yeah. university. If you don't go yeah. to university, yeah. some sort yeah. of failure. 
And, and, and in some sense, um, I don't know if you would agree, David, but aren't we sort of top heavy as a, a service country as opposed to perhaps, you know, manufacturing in that sense? Uh, I, I, absolutely right. Yes, we are. And we've, um, we've exported most of our manufacturing, yeah. you know, offshored it. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, okay. That, that's, that's kind of... Uh, Turn around, you know. We, we, you obviously need to do that as part of globalization, but yeah. it's, um, it's going to bite us, I but think. We obviously need to apply a balance. Okay, I'm, I'm veering off a little bit, but let's get back to the, the, the question that I spoke as a side question and briefly, very, very briefly, if you may. Um, as no one wants a repeat of that terrible night. Um, so, what role do you think I don't know technology will play in the future to avoid something like? Um, Grenfell Tower incident. I mean, are there things being put in place on a technological level that introduce something that like this happening again? Well, yes, um, but I think you know, uh, technology is only part. Of, can only ever mm -hmm. be part of the answer. Mm -hmm. The first thing is is decent regulations and enforcement of them and that's what was has come out so to me so much from the inquiry to date is the regulations were weak and people just drove a coach and horses through them anyway mm -hmm. um so you, you need you need decent regulation you need proper testing and materials mm -hmm. but you know one so much can be done remotely with buildings as we you know a building is a a series of machines if you like and you can tell what's happening remotely much more easily with technology um and fire all sorts of fire alarms fire warnings fire doors all that is being greatly improved as a result of grenfell i've no doubt mm -hmm. okay let's let's spend some time talking a bit about the, the technology and the use of it in the social housing market we've briefly just touched upon it um with the Grenfell conversation, let's widen it a little bit. Um, what are the the top five benefits that perhaps digitalization has brought to the social housing market? What would you say? Yes. Well, I mean, where my first uh, um, involvement in social housing in recent times, although, I, funnily enough, my, my career started in local government a very long time ago, and uh, I got involved with housing in those days and you know mm -hmm. um, I'll give my age away that was in the um, early mid-70s mm -hmm. I was working in uh, finance of, of housing in local authorities in those days before I found my way into consultancy but my more recent involvement has been through the company you mentioned Xembrace so um, around the year 2000-2001 we started selling um, uh, a scheduling, a dynamic scheduling system, and uh, it was a classic technology opportunity, if you like. Um, well, situation of a, a, an opportunity looking for a problem, and we stumbled across the problem. Okay, with a bit of inside knowledge from me, I'll admit, mm -hmm. uh, modestly, uh, and we found the need for and the pressure to make appointments for repairs. And that's really where we, the, the company took off, was uh, offering appointments and then dynamically scheduling the operatives to turn up and do the work in the most efficient way, minimizing travel. Um, and, and that's really, it was, you know, what X Embrace was all about. And you know, I think it, 
is still known by many people for that as an example of innovation in the sector. And other things have gone on from there. I mean, first and foremost, uh, of course, the big opportunity was the integration with mobile technology, which was also taking off in the early 2000s. And that's moved so far since. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and I've said before, I think, you know, the social housing has been slow to adopt yeah. the opportunities of technology. Um, the, the, uh, you asked about digitalization. I mean, that, that, that's the first one. Uh, giving field operatives where the repairs or any other housing, you know, housing organizations employ many different skills, um, housing officers, rent collectors, and so on. Uh, you know, these people should be out in the field meeting their customers and mm -hmm. uh, not sitting in an office. And m mobile technology has given so many opportunities to do that job more effectively mm -hmm. with you know, information in your hands. But uh, another thing that I think we've already alluded to is the whole question of online contact between uh, the, 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 the tenant, if you like, better called the customer, mm -hmm. and the organisation. And this has really accelerated recently, as I've said before. Uh, you know, I, I think back to all the weird and wonderful excuses that people came up with. Why? Why this wasn't relevant to the social housing sector i mean it's quite bizarre when e even you know five years ago mm -hmm. uh probably more uh, yeah, every nearly every tenant apart from the very oldest had a smartphone of some sort and they could easily communicate um this uh opportunity it, it is an opportunity was only woken up too late that's that's given um much better customer service and uh, also you know avoided the need for so many trips to offices and so on for meetings yeah. um that's a big example and then you know the, the we're, we're now moving into digitalization of um uh, 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 all sorts of um parts of the house itself and the ability to identify when there's a problem with a boiler or the electricity yeah. or whatever. I think that's, that's where we're veering into the sort of AI and machine learning, which yeah. we're probably not going yeah. to wait to detail about that, but I, I can imagine quite... I think, yeah, I mean, the other, the other example is that space. Yes. Um, just enabling much greater job satisfaction, if used well. I mean, all technology has the ability to either make jobs easier or harder depending on how well it's mm -hmm. implemented. It's not, it's not just that, surely it's just it's optimizing, it's efficiency, it's cutting a lot of the costs because there's a lot of money wasted where this would actually cut the cost of Yes it. indeed and that's that's obviously a key factor just as important in housing mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. any other sector to be seen to be efficient yes making best use of resources yeah. but also actually enabling people to do a better job you know if it's done well it can give increased job satisfaction yes that, that is that is very true and more on it and technology can you explain for me and my listeners um smart homes and bims 
Um, I think BIMs, all I know is the definition, building information modeling, what are they and where do they fit into social housing market? Well, they, um, they, the same as any other housing market in short. Uh, I certainly don't hold myself out as an expert on this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. yeah, my, um, my main area of interest is uh, have I indicated is more the sort of um, customer and repairs end mm -hmm. of sector. So, um, but you know, this is much talked about. Uh, it just yeah, gives an opportunity for a much better design process and more integrated approach, if you like, between the 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 builders and developers and the people who have to manage it and then re repair and maintain it and that has been rather fragmented in the past mm -hmm. uh, a lot of information has not been passed on from one stage to the next mm -hmm. resulting in all sorts of problems mm. and inefficient okay and digital twin i've seen that phrase banded about particularly in the health sector but i assume in the housing um, digital twin is in that space. Can you elaborate on that? Um, it, it, it's a good example of how um, you know, a, lot, a lot of social housing customers have disability problems and so on. Mm -hmm. um, you, you know, enabling them to live more normal lives, to be honest, and communicate better is what it's all about. And, and you know, giving them greater security as well physical security all right okay um okay let's um let's go back to covid um it just won't go away will it um let's look at the the future if we can um covid19 will have um, a lasting effect for many um what are the lasting effects for the housing sector um <laughs> well he if you can if you claim to foresee the future, I think you're probably well, setting you it. You imagine, you laugh, so you <laughs> imagine something. Yes. Um, in, in many ways, less than other sectors, because, you know, the one thing we all need is a home. I mean, first and foremost, in this country, it's going to increase the need for some sort of a... a social housing whatever you want to call it affordable housing um yeah you know, we're going to see much greater unemployment and job insecurity for the foreseeable future than we've had in the recent past well whether this government will recognize it it's still very wedded to the idea of owner occupation and that's fine but it doesn't work for so many people so um uh, it's going to be an increased need for social housing, uh, aside from all the things we knew before COVID, of having an ageing population and so on. Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay, so it sounds so, good. But it's, it all takes money, you know. Um, uh, we, need a, we need a much better mixed economy of housing in this country, instead of putting all our eggs in the one basket of of owner occupation. It is, it is very much a sort of, yeah, uh, it's not, a, it's not a, rip, a rent culture like some parts of the continent where it's quite 
okay and normal to be a renter. In the UK, it's all about ownership. You reach a certain age and ownership, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it has been, but I mean, we, you know, even people in good jobs are no longer able to afford a house anymore in this country. So it's already changing. That needs to be recognised. I mean, the whole, even the private rented sector needs a big revolution in terms of the way it looks after its customers and much greater security is deserved mm -hmm. by tenants. Mm -hmm. Uh, as you get in most, uh, you said, you know, Germany again is a very good example, I'm sure Switzerland too. Uh, yes, it, uh, it, it's no problem to be in, uh, and it's normal in yes. Germany to live in a rented uh, place for most of your life. Um, but it's not, it's not recognised here and unfortunately we have now, you know, the haves and the haves not. The haves like me who own their house and the have not. Mm. Uh, who don't and we've already before covid seen a downturn in the proportion of owner occupation it's just going to be accelerated in my opinion right. okay um let's change uh direction um we talk about brexit um we're nearly there after four years um okay be as open as possible is this an opportunity that, that we are not seeing or or the worst thing that could possibly happen to the UK since perhaps the Second World War. What does a no Brexit deal mean to the economy and to social housing to keep in with the theme? Yeah, well, I'm afraid, yeah, I don't hide my opinion. I think Brexit is the worst thing that this country has inflicted on itself, or almost any country has inflicted on itself in the recent past. Mm. Uh, is going to do no good at all for this country. Um, by the way, I have to correct you, I don't think Brexit is nearly done at all, whether it's a deal or no deal. It's going to take a long time to work out. Um, you know, just to say on the 1st of January that we've done Brexit. Yeah, well, it's sort of legally in that sense. So much uh, and still needs to be sorted out. And I, I, I hope we get a deal because if nothing else, that at least gives a foundation for something better but um i can't i cannot see how brexit is going to benefit this country unless you want to turn it into some sort of um offshore tax haven or something mm -hmm. otherwise what's the point um you know europe is our main trading partner and mm -hmm it's inevitably going to continue that way but we just made it a lot more difficult for ourselves yes yes okay um and let's end on a, a fascinating and arguably a frightening situation um you've alluded to it um, we are living in very strange times geopolitically unstable situations mm. COVID, covid crisis the looming brexit us china strained relations ecological crisis, global warming, EU-UK relationships, uncertainty going forward, and the biggest gap ever between the rich and the poor. You know, a great list here. Um, what are your thoughts on these precarious times? What are your predictions? We, we have had a long period of peace after the Second World War. Are we at the beginning of turmoil across the globe? If you were given a global mandate, what, in your opinion, is the most urgent action and why, David? Yes. Well, I, I mean, I'm a, a classic baby boomer born shortly after the 
war. And of course, you know, you could say we're now reaching a time when people have forgotten all the benefits of what was put in place after the Second World War to avoid a repeat. Um, a lot of those things, in my opinion, have been thrown out the window. You know, international cooperation being the first thing. Um, of which Brexit is only one symptom. There are many other examples. Uh, you know, if, we, if countries don't work together, then we're all poorer, mm. and we endanger, um, risk the danger of more war whatever form that's going to take in the future it mm. won't be the same as the second world war mm -hmm. um so yeah we've lost the lesson we're in danger of losing the lessons now, i think it's a classic old man um fault to think that things were once great and they're getting worse i don't think like that at all you know but um uh, you know, and i've got i'm lucky enough to have beautiful grandchildren and i, mm -hmm. I worry about the future for them um and we haven't even, <laughs> I won't start talking about climate change. I don't even want to get onto that. But um, <laughs> um, I, I hope there is continued peace and prosperity, as we've seen for so much of the post-war period. Yeah, you could say, yeah, certainly in Europe, mm -hmm. um, the longest period of peace and prosperity in, in history. Yeah. Um, um, you know, uh, very, very little opinion. fighting and people have, have cooperated and prospered as a result and uh, yeah, so that's already starting to break down in some ways and uh, it's all about leadership uh, we need we need good leaders who will uh, we need the right kind of leaders <laughs> yes yes indeed i, I suppose it's, it's not the, the the happiest of notes to end on but david todd many thanks for your time and insight well, thank you. I enjoyed it and I hope people find it interesting to listen to. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, or wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executive decision makers and heads of multinationals. Heads Talk Podcast with your host Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.